If you guys have a Bible, you can open to John chapter 10. And I'm just going to pray one more time to get my bearings. And actually, I'm going to use Scripture as our opening prayer. These are Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God, as we dig into your word today, would we not find the wisdom of men, but when we find the power of God? Would we hear your good news, your gospel today? And use me as your vessel in my weakness uh, to share. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Welcome back to the second week of our new series, Doors in the Life of Faith, as we explore one of the Bibles and one of Jesus' favorite metaphors. So what is a door? To get technical, we said a door is a movable barrier for the opening and closing of an entrance. Yet on a deeper level, a door is something far more profound. We discovered last week that within the conception of Scripture, a door is that which separates an outer world of darkness and danger from an inner sanctum of hospitality and security. And Scripture continually, seemingly repeatedly draws our attention to doorways, alerting us of some sort of a mysterious and sacred transition in the, the doors of the Bible just pulse with meaning and significance. Last week, Jesus beckoned us to strive to enter through the narrow door. It was this invitation to pass from death to life, to enter into covenant with God, to find safety and renewal, relationship and forgiveness in God's presence. And to understand the narrow door, we examined a second door, the door of the ark. We learned as we looked at the image of the ark that the door is narrow not because it is tight and constricted, but because it is singular. Like the door in Noah's ark, there is only one point of entry into salvation. Yet this door does not exclude. God's welcome is broad. It's extended, as we learned in Genesis, to all flesh. It's God's hope that none would perish, but that all would come to find life in Him. And we discovered that our God, He's ever gracious and He's incredibly patient. But Jesus spoke with urgency and desperation when He said, strive to enter through the narrow door because one day... It will shut, and when it does, those on the outside will no longer have the opportunity to enter. And we looked at that terrible and awesome moment in Genesis as the rain started to fall, and God shut the door. He secured Noah and his family in their experience of salvation, yet it was also a condemnation to his contemporaries for them to experience the consequence of their choice 
And Jesus said, I don't want you to find yourself in that same situation, so enter through the narrow door. But now this Sunday, we turn our attention to a different sort of door. Jesus proclaims to us this good news. He says, I am the door of the sheep. So I have a question for you. When is a door not a door? When it is a jar. Ba-boom. Tom Chase, uh, one of our uh, lovely members, shared that with me this week. And uh, he is like a master at dad jokes. And I love it. But Jesus also might give a different response to that question. When is a door not just a door? When it's also a person. So let's see what Jesus has to tell us in John chapter 10. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Jesus is picking up on one of God's favorite images, that when he created humanity, it was his intention that we'd be sheep in his flock. It says this in Psalm 100, verse 3, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. God is bringing back up, Jesus is bringing back that image that God intended us to know our Creator and to be in that relationship with Him like sheep and a shepherd. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, who's He talking to? We're diving into this passage, but Jesus is mid-conversation with a group of Jewish religious leaders. And they're angry with Him. Jesus has just restored the sight of a man born blind, but he did it on a Sabbath day, on the day when Jews are instructed to cease from their labors. Jesus had put mud on the man's eyes and he had commanded him to go wash in the nearby pool of Siloam and to be healed. And that act, the religious leaders perceived as dishonoring God's law. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they were so upset by this healed man's testimony about Jesus, that they kicked him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated him from the community of the people of God. He was one of God's beloved sheep, and they booted him from the fold. So Jesus is standing up to condemn what he sees as their wicked shepherding. This is also the passage where he where he will present himself as the good shepherd. But almost as if he can't help himself, he mixes his metaphors, and he also starts talking about a door, the door of the sheepfold. He says a true shepherd enters the sheepfold by the door and leads his flocks out to pasture, calling them each out by name. Come on, socks, Come on, Daisy. Come on, Spot. He says, thieves and robbers, they bypass the door. They hop the wall to pursue their own nefarious ends. 
but the true shepherd comes through the door. And he continues in verse 4, when he has gone out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. The sheep recognize the loving voice of their shepherd and they follow his lead. They trust in his care and his direction. It's actually this really fitting echo of Jesus' interaction with the blind man. All that he had experienced of the man of Jesus was his voice. But it was something in that unknown voice that gave him confidence or inspired his trust. For he follows Jesus' instruction without protest or question. It's as if he recognized in the voice of Jesus the voice of Israel and humanity's true shepherd. The imagery is beautiful, but I agree with the religious leaders. It's also confusing. So Jesus goes on to clarify. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Okay, I'm getting it. There's sheep. There's a sheepfold. And I thought, Jesus, you were going to say that you're the shepherd, but you tricked us. You you did a switcheroo at the end, and you said you're the the door. You're the door of the sheepfold. Now we got to process this, because you didn't go where I was expecting you to go. But then Jesus keeps talking, and he says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We almost want to say, Jesus, make up your mind. Quit mixing your metaphors. Do you have ADD? Come on, carry one thought and extend it all the way to completion because how are we supposed to follow what you're saying? It's hard to keep track. He says, come on, I'm both. I'm the door and the shepherd. And we say, you can't be both. you got to pick one. And he says, no. When's a door not just a door? When a door is also a person. Huh? How are we supposed to understand this shepherd door? Well, let's go back and get our bearings. This is a sheepfold. It's an outdoor pen that's built far from the village, but close to the seasonal pastures. It's a semi-permanent stone enclosure. It's intended to contain the sheep in the winter. It lets them huddle up and stay warm. And especially, it's used at night to protect them from the attacks of wolves and predators. And we have evidence that ancient sheepfolds, they would top the top of that stone wall with briars and thorns and sharp rocks, kind of like ancient razor wire to dissuade thieves and bandits from climbing over and snatching sheep. So what is the sheep's relationship with that doorway? Every night they would pass through it, 
under the watchful and caring eye of the shepherd. They would be counted to make sure none had wandered off, and the shepherd would crouch down and give each sheep a tender examination. He'd pass his hands over their bodies searching for injuries. He'd bind breaks. He'd remove burrs and thorns from their wool. He'd salve wounds. He'd speak words of comfort to his sheep. It was all so intimate and individual and kind. And then in the morning, they would be called out by name, led to drink from still waters and to nourish themselves in green pastures. And unlike the door of Noah's Ark, which after construction, the occupants went in once and left once, these sheep live their lives in relationship with this door. Passing in and out of the door is their defining rhythm. And it really makes Jesus' words from last week land on our ears differently. Keep on striving to enter through the narrow door sounds less like a plead to cross a threshold and more like an invitation to abide. And notice that being saved here in this chapter is defined as going in and out and finding pasture. It's explained as experiencing abundant life in relationship with and under the care and the guidance of the Good Shepherd as you find your place within the flock of God. But take a careful look at that photo. What is missing there that you would expect to see? What's missing? A door. (laughs) There's no door. Why is that? Well, if you answer that, you solve the riddle of this parable. Jesus says, I am both the door and I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. If you were an ancient shepherd spending your night out in the elements, where would you sleep? Has anyone been forced to sleep outside on the hard earth or the concrete without tent or blanket? I have. It is a miserable experience. And I already know what my strategy would be. I'd get up close to one of the walls, let it break the cutting wind for me, And then I would find the fluffiest and the best-smelling sheep. And I would make them cuddle up and keep me warm. Now, there's some issues with my my strategy, with my plan. One, it is self-serving and selfish because there is an open door on that sheepfold. And they are meeting, the sheep would be meeting my needs, but I would be doing nothing to keep them from wandering off in the night. It also would leave the sheep unprotected from from wolves or lions or bandits, sheep rustlers, mountain lions. The losses could be catastrophic. Now Jesus, the good shepherd, says in Mark, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And his strategy diverges entirely from mine. At night, the good shepherd lays his body across the opening of the sheepfold. 
It is he himself that hems us in. His own flesh that protects us. You see, the good shepherd puts his own body between his flock and the predators that threaten them. To get to the sheep, a wolf, a lion, a bandit has to go through the shepherd. And it's almost like I can picture it like a movie. It gets dark. You can't see what's going, but there's, there's commotion outside the sheepfold and the shepherd's voice rings out, You shall not pass! Wait, that's something else. <laughs> I will give my life to protect my sheep. And you, I can picture it. In the darkness, there's scuffling and grunts. There's the roar of beasts. There's the, the war cries of men. You have teeth and claws and blades glinting in the starlight. And through it all, you hear the shepherd's heavy breathing. His staff is in his hand and he is enduring. He's with standing the onslaught to defend his flock. And when the morning dawns, the shepherd is there in the doorway, slumped over, broken and bleeding. He's mortally wounded, but he has stayed and held the door. And you can almost picture him whisper, it is finished. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I have held the door, for I am the door. With my own body, I have sheltered and protected my flock, and not one of them has been lost. And the shepherd breathes his last, having given his life so that his flock might live. What glorious news. I am the door of the sheep. He's pointing ahead to the gruesome scene of the good shepherd's body broken and bleeding on a cross where he has physically again put his body between us and that which would destroy us to save us. You see, the shepherd door ought to bring to mind another biblical door, the Passover door. One of the great symbols of Judaism. You may know the story. God is delivering His people from slavery in Egypt. He's humiliating Egypt's so-called gods and goddesses. He's humbling their tyrannical Pharaoh. God is calling in accounts. He's dealing with Egypt's injustice and oppression. And the Lord is going to reveal His power through ten great and terrible plagues. Blood, frogs, gnats, flies, pestilence, boils, locusts, hail, darkness, the death of the firstborn. And the last is the most devastating and dreadful. But God has made a way for His people to be shielded from wrath, to be protected from the destroyer. And here's what we read in Exodus chapter 12. And I'm only going to read excerpts because it's a long chapter. So 
Feel free to go back and read the whole chapter in your, at your leisure this afternoon. But this is what we hear recorded. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Pesach, his protective sacrifice. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pasak, I will spare, I will protect you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. On the climactic night of Israel's exodus, God's people took refuge behind closed doors. But their confidence came not from the strength of the wood or the complexity of the locks. The power of their protection resided wholly in the substitutionary sacrifice of a spotless lamb. God's holy wrath was being poured out upon the injustices of Egypt. But if God was making a reckoning for wrong, who could stand? Surely not even God's people were guiltless. Yet God provided a substitute for their protection. One under whose blood God's people would were to take refuge. A Passover lamb. Now, a year old lamb is not an adequate substitute for a firstborn son. But the Passover lamb pointed forward to one who was an adequate substitute. Paul writing in the New Testament reminds the church, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The only perfect and faultless sacrifice whose blood can both cover and protect. It brings me to mind the, the words of uh, that old hymn. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing your praise. Streams of nurse, mercy never ceasing. All the songs of boundless praise. And then he goes, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh yeah, I forgot I had the words up there. <laughs> Trying to remember. 
We were wandering from the fold of God. We were somehow alienated from the flock. And we see a a picture of the fall in Jesus' parable. We were created to be sheep in relationship with our Creator, part of God's flock, but we wander. Not only do we wander, we're we're victims of outside forces, of of wicked shepherds, of of predators, of, of things that seek our destruction. We are also... people under wrath because we have sinned. We have violated what God in His holiness has called us to. And we are deserving of just punishment. But in that moment, He says, I have good news for you. I am the door of the sheep. Jesus says, I am your point of entry, the one through whom you are welcomed back into communion with God. The one through whom we find our place again in the flock of God. Jesus also says that I'm your kind and caring shepherd. You've suffered under the hands of wicked leaders but I am the one who will call you by name. I will lead you to pasture. I'll lead you into safety. I'm the one who will heal and comfort and guide. Jesus is the good shepherd who opens for us the experience of abundant life, a life that overflows and never ends. He also says, I will be your protector your defender, your strong defender, I will literally place my body between you and the destroyer, between you and the just and righteous holy wrath of God. Our shepherd held the door. He gave his life. Why? To break the power of evil, sin, and death. To secure for us a new future and a hope. And then we discover, as we look at the Passover door, that Jesus is our holy substitute. He's our sacrificial lamb. He's the one that sanctifies the doorway. He's the one that covers our sins. But indeed, His blood does more than hide. He does not merely hide our brokenness. He changes our situation. His blood has the power to forgive us, to cleanse us, to protect us. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep to which we say, Hallelujah. So how will we respond to this revelation today? Jesus is the door. He's the shepherd. He's the substitute who sanctifies and protects. What do we do in response? What do we say in response? Well, first and foremost, I am prompted to worship, to declare God's worth and to express my gratitude, to sing praise so that all might hear of who He is. I am a foolish, a dumb and smelly sheep, but I have been found, I have been saved, I have been transformed by God's incredible grace. I'm prompted to worship. 
I'm also prompted to abide, to seek to strive and to continue to strive to enter through that narrow door, to go in and out and find pasture. I want to hear His voice and listen, to heed His direction, follow His guidance, to daily trust His care, to allow Him to train me in the rhythms of His abundant life. And then finally, I feel like we are prompted to remember. After the Exodus, God wanted His people to begin every year with a celebration of the Passover feast. He wanted them to recall and to bring to the front of their minds that they were not preserved by their own might or power, but that they, beneath the blood of a graciously provided spotless lamb, had found safety and protection, had discovered a future and a hope. God had provided a substitute and a protector for them that they did not deserve. And it's as if God said, every year you need to practice this rhythm so that you remember where your true security resides. He wants them to remember why they are motivated to live a life that is unleavened by by sin because grace had purchased their future. The feast of Passover was supposed to be this regular rhythm that reinforced their identity and their calling that prepared their hearts to welcome Christ, the anointed one, Israel's Passover lamb. But guess what? For 400 years, from the prophet Samuel to the king Josiah, Israel forgot to celebrate the Passover lamb. No one, not David, not Solomon, not Elijah the prophet, observed the Passover holiday in Israel. Maybe it had grown tired to them. Maybe the rituals had lost their spark and their dazzle. Perhaps they grew numb to the symbolism and deaf to the recollections of God's powerful grace. And I'm convinced that forgetting did a number on God's people. It proved devastating to their nation. Jesus is the door of the sheep. He is our good shepherd. He is our substitute who sanctifies and protects. Today, let's choose to praise Him, to abide with Him, to remember. Did you know that the Last Supper, from where we get our tradition of communion, it was a Passover Seder. It was a meal that reminded us that Jesus is the door of the sheep. Our protector, our substitute, the person who welcomes us into God's presence. And He has commanded us to regularly 
eat a symbolic meal so that it might be front of mind of who he is and what he's done for us. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, or the Lord says in Psalm 23. And one of the things that is in that psalm is that I have prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. We feast, we find nourishment, we find life because a table has been prepared. And what this table is supposed to remind us of is how it was prepared by our shepherd placing himself between us and all that threatened to destroy us. Our sin, evil, even death itself. He is our holy and spotless substitute. And he makes a way for us to have joy and life and peace. Abundant life. I came that they might have life Life abundantly. So as you come forward to receive the elements, remember, worship, make this a part of your rhythm of abiding, of going in and out of the door and finding pasture. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and and play. But come receive the elements, and then we will partake of them together in just a moment. If you need gluten-free, it's front and center. Otherwise, we have gluten-full on the wings, and some gluten full up front as well. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you. We love you. We're in awe of who you are and what you've done for us. We were sheep that had gone astray, and now we rejoice because the world's greatest shepherd has found us and saves us. So as we come forward, tune our hearts to sing your praise and remember, in Jesus' name, amen.